welcome everyone and thank you so very much for joining us on the Talking Cloud Podcast. I'm here, Grant Aspen, with my dubious and always informed host, co-host, Patrick Pusher. How are you, Patrick? I am wonderful. How are you doing, buddy? Man, I'm, you know, I mean, you know, if I'm above ground and breathing, everything else is a bonus, (laughs) brother. So things are terrific. Could be better, could be worse, but we're here. Uh, So I'm, I'm looking forward to today and our episode and being with you. And what's going on with you? Well, lots going on with me, uh, as I think we probably refer to in a few episodes now, uh, I've made a big move. So I'm one time zone over, kind of into central Canada, way out in the bush, powered by Elon Musk Starlink. So, you know, the fact that we're doing this is actually kind of nuts, given where I am. Okay, and now we have someone to blame if there's (laughs) any eruptions or problems, right? right? That's right. That's right. That's awesome, man. How do you like it? It's, it's, it's amazing. I'm in the, you know, in the process of building a studio here. So, you know, hopefully it kind of has the look and feel of, of what we've done in the past, but, uh, it's, it, it's great. Can't, can't wait to be here. Yeah. That's really cool, man. Well, I know that was, uh, something you were working up to for several months, getting prepared. It was, you know, what, a, a, it was like a thousand miles or something like that. Uh, yeah, that's right. I mean, it was a thousand miles I should straight be, east. I, I should be speaking kilometers since we are an international program. And exactly. I come exactly. to you in America, but my co-host comes to you from wonderful uh, friends of the North Canada. So that's right. That's cool, beautiful man. now, but very soon to be cold north. Yes. Yes, that's right. That's right. Well, you're going to really be wishing for that image that's behind you uh, when when we uh, get into those months. But hey, indeed, we got some cool news to get to. I want to definitely jump on that before we get we to our guest. Okay, so let me jump over to the newsroom and start right off with saying, here we go again, man. Uh, I mean, uh, this is another move it uh, breach, uh, or I should say related, right? And I think this, you know, my real point on this is just these can, when the guys find a way to get into our motion that we take for granted, man, it can do some serious damage. And this is seemingly yeah. just continuing to roll, right? Long tail as people discover and find out uh, they got it, right? I mean, yeah. it's pretty, yeah, that's right. it's pretty it's- crazy. It's not all that nuts. I mean, it's a, a vulnerability in a third-party application that many people have used. Some have embedded in their own applications. It's a file transfer yeah. application, right? But sure. it itself now is vulnerable, which means anything that embeds it or any process that uses it is vulnerable. And that's a, it's a scary thing. I have some application security customers, and they, they tell me this is the most asked-for feature or request is, you know, much like... Um, Log4j was for maybe CSPMs, right? Uh, uh, On this side, it's more kind of the application side. Where am I vulnerable? Where do I use this? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I mean, come on. I I think about, you know, if you ever bought a house, if you've ever refinanced, you've ever done any uh, activity that requires moving, you know, files that are still too large to attach, right? And Mm. oftentimes... Um, you know, it's a more secure means of con- uh, workflow and control. 
but you know you can do all your digital signing but obviously those organizations are embedding in like tools right to move yeah. files around that's and right so <clears throat> but you know i certainly wasn't intending to pick on uh, td ameritrade or or schwab oh, no. in fact i i I had a list of probably 10 different breaches that have occurred just in the last week or two uh, that I could have included. So it's the yeah. pervasiveness that's, I think, somewhat, I mean, it's a little concerning. And another example, okay? Now we're on to Docker. And, you know, the fact that we have to look differently about how we're using these resources, where we're putting secrets and keys and mm. where we're stashing stuff. Um, because, you know, the percentage is alarming that was discovered uh, in, in this particular uh, article where they went in and, you know, it's just all the inadvertent exposure that occurs yeah. uh, uh, in a, a Docker and again, you know, look, you uh, want to take the time. You could, I'm sure, go through and detail the nuances. My point about this is more as we get into these comfortable motions of using things that we're not really understanding the controls, the security that's in place, the consequences. If they, yeah. You might have the greatest hygiene on the planet, but if they don't, you know how how severe will that be right, right. i mean right. there's a it, it, it's uh it's it's pervasive yeah um, and you know there's hygiene and then there's also you know there's a modern way of handling sensitive credentials, right? When your applications need credentials, what we used to do is embed them in configuration files. And this is where these secrets are leaking from, right? Right, plain, right. Even not necessarily, but often plain text files where they exist. There's a, if you're a, at least a, a, a infrastructure as a service user, there's a modern way to do that. You know, you can launch your instance, you can configure those secrets at AWS. Um, it's part of the identity service that kind of runs EC2. It can pass them temporarily through that service to your workload. You can grab them and then use them. And they never have to exist, theoretically, on disk at all, right? For those mm -hmm. bad guys to find in very rudimentary and kind of easy ways, frankly. So, right. you know, if, if you know how to architect your application in a modern way, you know, you know how to deal with these things. But still, so many of us, to your point... We adopt the cloud. We think we kind of know it runs and feels kinds of like our hyper hypervisor did in the you know in the data center. So we just run with it, and we don't you and know I we do don't necessarily take the time. Yeah, I mean, I, and they I, do. That's absolutely a correct statement. That's exactly, the problem. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I just had this conversation. We'll talk more about uh, that conversation later. But I mean, there are so many subtle nuances. You know, I mean, the analogy that I'll throw out there and we'll come back to is golf and baseball, right? Mm -hmm. They're both swinging and hitting the ball, but there's That's some right. significant differences that if you try to do one like the other, you're going to be in big trouble. It's just, it's, it's really That's interesting. Right. Great but, analogy. So, so here, you know, Schwab and the move it uh, exploit and its vulnerability, Docker and them. But here's what should be more concerning to everyone is it's so widespread. 
This was just announced. Here you've got a remote code execution zero day, and it's found in, in Windows. <laughs> and um, this is a problem. Uh, yeah, this is a problem this is at a, scale. A, a, exactly. Yeah, and, that's the scary part. And, and these are these are serious. These are serious flaws that are being discovered or exploited or vulnerabilities or call whatever you want to do it. Um, but you know, if you think the others are widespread, you know, and I have to show this one to Patrick, not because I'm trying to, uh, you know, throw shame on any one vendor, but I do want to emphasize how critical it is to really investigate where you put your bets, where you place your investment, who you partner with. That's a good way to say it. That's right. You, you know, and... Or you spend your dollars. It's, it's and, and listen, man, when you look at the number of CVEs that have been released on, you know, Fortinet... Just this year, I think it's like over a hundred or something. I mean, what's the cost? Sure, they had the lowest price; they were the low bid uh, provider. But what's the cost to you now? I read this recent one today. I think what it said was the remedy was stop using uh, SSL 2.0. I mean, mm. I don't. Yeah. I, I mean, what does that mean? That's probably not a good option. Stop, stop your business. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, I, I know we don't mean to pick on a single vendor, but at the same time, you know, even on pretty, um, um, I don't know if PC is the right word, but, you know, uh, pretty friendly platforms like LinkedIn, you know, Fortinet's starting to get kind of bashed a bit. And, and I hear them say, you know, we're the only vendor that, that finds uh, a lot of CVEs internal testing before we release. You know, we do, we do a really rigorous job internally, and, and I'm sure that's true. But, I mean, it's not just the number of vulnerabilities. They do things like build, you know, backdoors into their services and, yeah. you know, aren't necessarily really truthful about that up front. At least that's, you know, allegedly. Um, yeah. But, you know, so, well, so that's a it's, – it's, it's kind of a scary combination, right? And. Yeah. Um, I think that's why we speak about them kind of in particular, but you're right. This is a discussion about kind of every, every, at least software vendor, if not software hardware vendor. And you know what I think it speaks to Patrick is I think we've really, you know, kind of like a teeter totter of kind of making a shift because heretofore the way we got there is best of breed, best of breed, best of breed. Every time there was a new use case, well, the problem with that is it paints you into a patchwork that you need to make work together. Uh, and sure. you know, that could be really challenging. Um, and we often base the criteria of the selection on features, i.e. capabilities within, right? You got the, give me, yep. what can you do? That's right. And, pr and price. Right, and very rarely do I see how many CBEs have been released on your product slash portfolio in the last one year, two year, three year, four year. Right, and how many have been addressed? How long did it take you to fix them, and how many still remain? It seems to me, if you know, I'm somebody that considers whatever data I have to be my crown jewels 
Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm daft, yeah. but it's, that seems those seem like, to be pretty basic questions. I would want to know the answers to. Right? Just they really do. Just yeah. really critical to ask. So I don't know. Anyway, moving on. This I thought was amazing. AI's the rage. Well, now you know everybody's been talking about how ChatGPT has put in guardrails and controls, but. I, I think that, you know, if you think like a bad guy, it didn't take you long to see this coming, right? No guardrails. In fact, quite the opposite. Designed and built to help you deliver malicious code to deliver malware to do bad things. Now, I saw some discussion from a colleague of mine that uh, says, quote, he's not convinced. And I think it was in reference to the implication that this would be able to actually write better phishing than a human heretofore. Or, uh, and, and but maybe that's I, not even I, the goal. It's, Is that it's, even the right question to ask? It's you know? scale. It's, 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 it's scale. It's scale. It's, it's repetition. Yeah. It's the ability to sample in, 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 in every facet imaginable. Instead That's right. of, That's gosh, right. I, I imagine today, yeah, I imagine today you think of like between one and three really great catchy ways to grab someone's attention and you send those out. I mean, with, with AI, you could literally send a thousand different ways or methods to a thousand exactly. people, measure exactly. the responses coming back to and over time, all with zero effort, right? Exactly. Like, I mean, there's a lot exactly. you can do as a bad guy with AI for sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I read I, the story and, 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 you know, it's a combination of, them training it on, you know, dark web data and obviously different data sources than than the mainstream uh, LLMs and prompt engineering to get around the right. common engines uh, uh, limitations, much like you know ChatGPT. So it's 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 interesting. I mean, of course, it's we saw this coming, but there you know similar things exist for ChatGPT where they'll coach you how to build a prompt that you know will get it to do more than it's supposed to do. Oh. Over time, of course, they're making that harder and harder to do, but it's still there. And, and, and the fact is, sorry, I live not too far from the tracks, you know, I'm kind of a hobo, so. <laughs> uh, but it, we see our research, you know, at Checkpoint has seen a tremendous, uh, uh, well, they themselves have actually conducted a tremendous amount of research where they actually are forcing, if you will, the the uh, chat GPT to allow it, right? With the way it just kind of talks back and yep. re how you respond and the voice right. and, you know, your That's assertiveness right. and you kind of yep. press yep. your point. And hey, this is and, just for educational purposes. It, right. Yeah, literally or, or, try to convince it. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and successfully are able to. Yes. Okay. Uh, uh, which is which is, of course, um, the concerning part. Um, and, you know, I, I have not read this. I was going to bring this up. I'll just throw it out here. This is uh, an article that I saw on Less Wrong, which is a really interesting forum. Um, but uh, this was uh, just a whole uh, summary about how this person went in and, and tried to go in and just get around the guardrails 
uh, haven't got there, but it looks pretty interesting. And for those of you that do want a great resource, and we'll uh, put the links to these stories, uh, including this. Information is Beautiful is a, just a terrific site. They have this, which will be updated uh, on a regular basis. Here you see it was on the 12th. Um, so I definitely encourage you to go there because here you can see all of the different AIs, yeah, the bots, yeah, house, you know, a, as well as parameter size, which is an important aspect when you think about these large language models, yeah. as well as how, how well is it trained, yeah, and, and how long they've been around. So, a great resource, and I thought I'd throw that up. So. Gosh, Patrick, sorry, man. I feel like I've just been talking on and on, and I know I want to hear from you. So it's over to you, buddy. All, all good. Yeah, listen, this one, uh, this one is, it's really close to home, right? Uh, I spent some time at, at, at Orca, some early time. I was there uh, first hiring in, in uh, first hire in marketing. Thank you, Elias, for that uh, leap of faith. Uh, and spent about a year and a half there. Did really wonderful things. Orca was a was a fantastic company. Um, but yeah, when Wiz came along with really similar technology, Orca was in the process of uh, patenting their technology. And you and I happen to know a little bit about patents, right? We've uh, we've we've both had that sort of education in the past. And uh, yeah, they ever since I had joined, they had had a patent pending against their technology. And so it did make me wonder, you know, I didn't understand the link between Orca and Wiz Founders. Uh, I've read some articles and not sure where the truth really lies. And we don't have to talk about that, right? But always wondered about, always wondered about the similarity of the tech, for sure. So they, were, they work together. I don't know how the how the relationship was. This article suggests, not this one, maybe another one I read, suggests that Orca showed the Wiz founders when they were still at Microsoft, the tech. Ah, okay. Now it's, I don't know if they made that inference or if they said that directly, right? But th mm -hmm. that was definitely the idea. And so I think that's mm -hmm. their alleged link, right? To say, hey, we showed you this, went and developed it, and then you copied it. Mm. Well, yeah, but an idea isn't anything. It's all about action. It is. Um, it is. You know, and, you know, so... Whoever acted first, those, I mean, if they're the same and one came in before the next, I would give it to the first one. Right. Yeah. If they've done the work and patented the idea and did that properly and timely and, you know, if you don't, yeah, then, exactly. then, then, you know, you get, you get what you get. But if you did, then I agree that that's supposed to be a protection, right? So it'll that, be interesting. That, that, I mean, that should be the criteria. And if Wiz built a product after Orca submitted their patent after uh, Orca, then it's a no-brainer. It, 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 but if, if for some reason it happened the other way around, right? Maybe not. Yeah. Anyway, I think it'll come to, down to interpretation of the patent, kind of the, the the breadth as it often does, and timing. Right. That's something yeah. we don't we don't know. Even even I don't know as an employee, the, the exact sort of, you know, the dates and the times and when these things happen. So it'll be interesting to see. It, it really yeah. will be for sure. No, no kidding. The other 
Next story that I thought was really interesting was that the uh, NSA slash CISA have come out with their um, guidelines for CI/CD pipeline security. The shift left, you know, mantra yeah. that we've been talking about for so long. The shift left mantra that CSPMs and a brand new category of of, of upcoming category of tool and ASPM really focus on. But, you know, it, that focus has grown so much that we have the kind of these bodies, which are typically a little bit slower against new technologies, right, to, to not only adopt, but to release guidelines to, to release this, which is really nice. It's, it's quite right. cloud focused. It's not, you know, it, does, it doesn't make that assumption, but, but there's a lot of sort of cloud terminology in it. And one thing I thought yeah. you'd really love in the active hardening mm. section, minimize Good the thing. use of long-term credentials. <laughs> good, you know, yeah. good segue yeah, into, into how much you and I talk about identity these days, but uh, they're, they're, they're right there. Of course, you know, make sure things are encrypted, make sure you're, uh, uh, you're using certificates and, and uh, confirming identities, but right in the middle, yeah. Only build as many you know, principles as you need and, and make sure they're not too powerful and, and minimize the use of ones that last, last a long time. That whole space right there, it's I kind of like, I, I mean, I look at it, we all understand the over-provisioning of, of capabilities or, or permissions and all of that. But I think what's the, the, the worst of all is it's space junk. It's, it, yeah. You leave it floating out there and it's, it's, it's worse than space junk, it's space bombs. Because if they get discovered they can really blow up on you you For know sure. i mean they're just these but they're lingering. buried in the sixth page of your 10th account and i mean how do you even yeah. know they're there right I like know. in a lot of cases yeah. we're talking about an enterprise use case you've got tons of cloud accounts whether they're organized under an organization or not and they all get used yeah. by different business units different levels of maturity oh. it's really hard the visibility is tough a number, i saw a number the other day that yeah, in that, in the enterprise in the cloud cloud native world, less than five percent of identities are human. So that just tells you right there, and, and it's logical, right? Because yeah, it is. Because everything, nothing is right here. I have to create a privilege to get to everything. Everything. That's how fine grain we've demanded it to be. And so that's the way it is. Everything has yeah. an identity. You attach some sort of permission to that identity. Often it's in groups, but it could be very specific as well. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, you know, for those that thought the cloud was going to be easier, <laughs> it just isn't, you know, it just yeah. isn't. Yeah, and all it is, is, is it's, it's reminds me of, it's like an electric car versus a, a four cylinder, 180 horse uh, car uh, you could just go you can kill yourself faster yeah. <laughs> you know yeah, that's right. you can it, it's it, you can stamp on stamp on the uh, pedal stomp on the pedal and uh, you know hit the tree in 2.8 seconds and, that's right way faster you know i mean yeah. way yeah. faster so it's so uh, yeah it's it's uh, yeah interesting uh this was a good Good segue into our last story, and that was really mm. this new CSA article uh, about two weeks ago. Well, not even a couple of days ago. Um, around again, implementing least privilege. How you do it? Because it's not yeah. easy. It just isn't. You know, with so many use cases like 
there are some tools, there are some just-in-time sort of access tools. There are even some whole sort of startups that are focused on that problem. But, you know, it's you have how many apps that all use the cloud in very different ways versus, to your point, how many humans. I believe that the app connection is, is way bigger, but versus, you know, how many humans to support those apps. And, and yeah. they come and go and they have different skill sets and they have different requirements on, on how they do that support, right? It's a, it's a complicated problem. And so... Uh, I found it interesting that uh, last week there was just so much focus around identities and keeping them tight and how you do this. Yeah, that's, it's, uh, I don't think people really understand, well, I know they don't really get it yet, um, but they're going to, you know, uh, I, I, because they're going to have to. Um, and, and I mean, otherwise it's going to be, it's going to be big trouble. Yeah. I, I do believe identities are the single biggest challenge, you know, and obviously the rights connected to them, but you know, yeah. we can talk about, we've got a pretty good handle on networks and open and closed ports. Even the network yeah. ACLs, this document kind of mentions that. And we've, we've pretty, got a pretty good handle on that. The CSPM did a relatively good job there, but the CSPM did a really poor job because it wasn't really the mission statement at the time around identities, mm -hmm. right? They just no. well, and and also to be fair, posture, right? I mean, identities need. It doesn't do me any good to know I have eight hundred and sixty-five thousand uh, uh, long-standing privileges. I mean, I guess it helps to know, but. It, I don't even know if you're getting that kind of information. Right. Uh, you know, uh, I, I think that uh, I saw a graphic the other day that um, just really shows how complex and stratified cloud and cloud-related security has become with uh, the big bubble being identity. And on one side, you've got uh, the posture. And I can't remember. It was a Gartner slide. You may have seen it before, but... You're right. Much like the uh, DSPM, right? The sort of uh, data security side of things. It's it's a it's an expanded view of what a CSPM could tell you about data stores. You know, because we needed more. Um, there's going to be a wave. There already is of identity products that do the same thing. Like, what's the posture management of my identities? How many of them are scary? How many of them are pretty benign? How many of them have been used recently? How many are attached to resources and not people? Uh, CSPMs don't really tell me that. They tell me, to your point, you have a thousand identities. Well, great, but you know, I, my needs are a little bit more than that for sure. Yeah, and and you know, to be you know, full disclosure, we do know of a few cool companies that are doing some really interesting things in the identity Indeed. space. Yes. Um, but hey, I think we have a guest that's, that's uh, right. waiting for us. So. Uh, let's go find out who's on the program this week. All right, Patrick. Wow. Well, I'm so excited about our next guest. No, me too. Uh, we're, we, let's just say that I did have the chance to work with him for a while at Checkpoint. Yeah. Uh, he was a vice president, uber technical guy. Let's uh, go let him in, bring him onto the program. Hello, hello. Me? 
Hey, Nitsan, how are you, my friend? It's good to Great. see you. Same here. Oh, how are you doing? Uh, terrific, terrific. Hey, so you're live. We're recording. And so welcome, uh, Nitsan Ziv. Am I saying that uh, correctly? Uh, or, 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 or is it Ziv? Uh, I want to make sure I say it right. <laughs> so yeah, I actually respond to both. So in Israel, <laughs> you know, it's... Um, it's part of the army culture. They called you in, in your last name. So I, I get to respond to, to both of them. Okay, brilliant. Well, thank you very much for being on the program. Uh, my co-host Patrick Pusher is along with me. And, uh, you know, I'm the Gilligan on the uh, crew. He's the professor. So you guys, I suspect, will have a great conversation. Let me take a brief second, uh, Nitsan, and introduce you uh, more properly. So your career is, you know, quite impressive. I'm not going to go into it. What I know you, uh, of course, is your time at Checkpoint when we overlapped a little bit. I think your last role there was vice president of threat prevention and intelligence. You were there for well over a decade, looked like almost 12 years. And I, it seems like this has happened in the past in this industry where something happens and immediately there's, by some, a recognized opportunity for a solution that's currently not addressing the market. And I kind of sense you saw through the eye of that needle uh, with supply chain. And now uh, the co-founder and CEO of Ox Security, uh, super excited to hear about what you're doing because uh, I haven't had a chance to talk to you since you've left. So uh -huh. with all of that preamble, Nitsan, welcome to the program. Tell us a little bit about what you're up to. Okay, so as you said, uh, software supply chain became a big issue. I think that the first time that I had a personal experience with that was actually doing uh, with uh, the team the analysis of NotPetya. And mm -hmm. that was the first time that I actually saw something I said, wow, this is mind-blowing in the sense that you're not attacking one company in order to attack that company. What you're doing is you're attacking one company in order to get to all of their customers. And said, so this is brilliant because the amount of effort that you need to take as an attacker and in order just to penetrate one account, that's a huge effort. Mm. Now, think about it. You want to get to 12,000 accounts. Mm. So that's huge effort times 12,000. Or you can find out who is supplying software to them. And it might be, let's say, accounting software. It doesn't need to be something super fancy sure. in that sense that you need to be very, very well connected. And you get in and that's it. Everything is wide open to you because you got in mm. through a trusted source. And as we started seeing this becoming a pattern, we understood that this is something that right now is one of the top attack vectors out there for somebody that wants to do a big splash, big impact. And, mm -hmm. and this is what we're seeing right now every week in the news because we are relying on so much software. It's packaged software, it's open soft software. It is software that you build. It is everything around us. So of course, that's the ultimate way to do a big impact. And yes, yeah. when we saw that, um, we figured out that this is super hard for most people to handle. Um, not just doing AppSec, but thinking about you as a supplier of software, uh, this is really a big issue. And especially when 
you see the ease of somebody going into an open source and simply pushing in a line of code saying, let's say, support Ukraine or whatever it is, you get to understand how easy it is for everybody simply saying, yeah, I'll get the updated version. And there it is, part of your product. You're part of the revolution. Mm. Fascinating. You know, that's it really is extraordinary when you think about uh, how really brilliant it is to plant that egg, that Easter egg, if you will, that bomb, whatever you want to call it, right, in that supply, because that's when my hair's down the most, right? I'm getting my update from my provider. I'm getting my uh, current information. I mean, it's that trust chain that we've never really interrogated in the past. So talk a little bit about how you're going about securing because to me, I think supply chain, holy moly, man, where, how, how do you climb through and check out all of my trusted partners? How exactly are you going about doing that? Okay, so first of all, you need to understand that it's not just checking your suppliers. So what we started by doing is actually mapping everything that is out there. So let's imagine that there are 300 software supply chain attacks that were documented to date. Now, you take all of those accounts, you research them, you understand what are the components, what are the TTPs, and you break them down to their smaller components. What were the techniques actually being used by the bad guys? Now, mm -hmm. a software supply chain attack is not a one attack. It's actually a combination mm -hmm. of attacks one after another. So you do a reconnaissance, you develop the resource, you find initial access, you execute, you get to higher privileges, it's a process. It's not a one thing that you do and that's it. You're done. So for us, the most important thing is, first of all, to understand where do you start your journey and imagine a map of all the steps that somebody needs to take that this map accumulates all the knowledge in the industry. So when we started our journey, what we've done is we actually took part um, in a group of companies that said, OK, let's map everything in the industry. And it might be companies like Microsoft and GitLab and Intel and a few other companies that what we, we worked with them is actually with their expert to understand what are the software supply chain out there. So we created a website called pbomb.dev, pipelinebuildofmaterial.dev, and a GitLab, GitHub repository that is completely open source that maps everything that we know of in the industry. And this is where we started journey. So now that you've got a map of everything in the industry, you can actually start by saying, okay, now let's look if the most important thing is actually trust by my vendors, or is my CI CD simply open to the internet with password one to three as the password? Mm. And you would say to yourself, nah, that's probably not going to happen, but it does. And some of the famous <laughs> attacks actually started just like that. So you don't need to go to the most fancy of things in order to, to start your security journey. It's a very, very wide attack surface. And you need to understand, first of all, where do you want to emphasize and, and, fo and mm -hmm. focus your resources? And this mm -hmm. is step number one in understanding the journey. Now, for each of them, I think some of them, uh, we've got great vendors out there doing great job. In some of them, I don't think that the solutions from the industry is sufficient or even providing enough insights to understand what should I do now. If I'm zooming out for a second, the challenge for 
the uh, the protectors in this side is actually saying, okay, so if I need to protect my software supply chain, I need seven vendors somehow to control it, get it back to the developers, orchestrate the thing. And now that I see all the issues, I'm actually accountable to fixing them versus mm -hmm. the previous situation where I didn't even see them. So I could say, you know what? I hadn't yeah. seen those. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So the first step, obviously, you know, you describe mapping everything. So you're understanding es essentially how it's all coming together, right? H how this journey, how the water flows from the mountain to the ocean, essentially, right? And are you then, uh, from a, a, a security perspective, I mean, there's a lot of points, it seems, where there needs to be some check or interrogation or validation. I mean, so how, what's that process look like? How, how, okay, so now you have it mapped, what next? Okay, so the fundamentals of every um, software supply chain is basically relying on the four same principles. You've got a place where coders code, GitHub, GitLab, Bitbucket, and many more. Right. And this is where you want to understand if somebody can get in, what can they do? What are the changes that they can actually uh, address in, in that sense? Mm -hmm. Then you're going to actually, what are they actually writing? Is it secure? What are the dependencies? What are the licenses that are being used out there? How is my infrastructure as a code uh, operating over there? So you want to understand that everything that they write is actually secure by definition. So they are not pushing code that is vulnerable into production. Mm -hmm. There is one catch over there, that things age. So software age. Mm -hmm. So let's say that when you release something, it was perfect. But now somebody found a vulnerability and on a yearly basis, I think that there are around 20,000 different vulnerabilities being uh, published. Mm -hmm. So you develop your software, you've got hundreds of development de dependencies, hundreds of thousands, tens of thousands of dependencies, and something constantly ages and you get new vulnerabilities into things that were perfect when you shipped them. Mm -hmm. Now, this is being built using the CI/CD. This is step number two. So you go to the CI/CD, the CI/CD takes your code, compresses mm -hmm. it, places it, does some tricks with it, and then you've got an artifact. This is being stored in artifact registry. This is point number three. And then it is being shipped sorry, into the cloud or into mm -hmm. production. So those are the four stages that I'll probably say 99 and something percent of uh, companies are doing those four steps. So you need to think about each one of those steps as mm -hmm. what's the best way to secure them, to make sure that nobody can access them, to change the code and actually control the entire ecosystem, and then make sure that every artifact you've got running in production, be that age, that you know its origin, nobody tempered with it, and mm -hmm. you know what it is. Mm -hmm. Most customers that we actually doing this exercise with them, they find a lot of things in production that they have no idea who's the owner, why they're there, <clears throat> what's their origin, and wow. should they even kill them? And this is a very, very common case. Yeah, that's extraordinary, right? And I imagine that's especially true in, in very large organizations, right? That 
Um, there can be this kind of discovery, and then they're apprehensive about killing it because they think they may be affecting the business somewhere, and they just don't understand it, right? I've seen that instance before. Um, so I'll probably say that uh, we've got customers that are fortune customers, and we've got startups around D and E uh, as part of our uh, portfolio. And I must say that, <laughs> that it's not just something that is in old enterprises that have this problem. Think mm. about it that a startup that is alive for five years, people already change, environment change, programming sure. languages change, technology changed. And then you've got something in production that is an alien technology nobody knows about, how does it work? It just works. Mm. So even in small startups, you see the same thing. It's wow, that's yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, it's a good point because there's oftentimes there's that's a tumultuous time. It's very rare that you have sure. a startup that starts and there's not a, a fair amount of turnover and change and pivot and shift and uh, uh, new and of tools. They document everything wonderfully, don't they? Right? Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. 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 <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I can see, like you say, the size of the organization, organization can contribute to the chaos, but so can the stage, right? And so I think that makes a lot of sense for startups experience this maybe just proportionally to the number of enterprises that, you know, you, it's easy to see in an enterprise. There's so many business units and they don't talk to each other that well. And security is kind of a unified approach. And so you kind of see where the breakdown happens in startups, I guess, if you work enough of them, you, you see there too, but it's a very different way. Um, I wanted to talk to you about a presentation I saw you give earlier this year, and you talked about this concept called, and I think it's more like in a in a in an app set kind of world, a pyramid of pain. And in it, about you made this very, the last a, a pyramid of pain. Oh yeah, it, right. And in it, you said that ninety five percent of organizations struggle so much that they don't get past the point of weeding through the um, signal to noise ratio of a lot of the tools they. And I was curious just to ask you why you think that is. I mean, that's a phenomenon I've battled with, not necessarily so much in AppSec, although maybe these days a little bit more, but more from a, a, a general cloud security perspective. And it's and it's very true that the, the, the number of observations these tool sets make are overwhelming, right? And they're not taking context into, some of them now, the, the, the most modern ones are, but many of them aren't helping you, right? With this long list of even thousands of, critical alerts, right? When you can look at them, they clearly aren't all critical, right? So how do we, in any realm, but especially kind of in your realm of, uh, of the supply chain asset, how do we deal with that? How do we make sense of that? How do we get trust okay. back in the alert stack? Because for me, it's kind of gone. <laughs> uh, first of all, I completely agree. It's one of the things that are completely broken in the industry. I think that there are a lot of um, incumbent vendors that uh, started their journey as finding uh, issues in open source. Um, and they're doing great in taking standard uh, libraries in the industry and simply presenting a lot of issues. And I think some of them are present right now in the market and, and we're seeing the, the huge churn from those companies. Uh, even companies that were born in 2015, 2016, mm -hmm. you see that their value is diminished meaning the entire journey of just displaying more and more alerts um, is it, simply overwhelming. Nobody treats it with respect. And the biggest issue is you're trying to get this notion of list to a developer. Now, 
Think about a developer. They are getting content from product managers saying you need to deliver this because the business something, something, something. Now, security comes to them and say, here's a list of 200 issues that we want you to fix. Now, inherently, there's going to be a problem saying, what should I do? Should I fix this or should I fix this? So you'll go to the first manager in the pyramid that is the guy that controls the upsec and the developers. And this guy uh, has no idea about the details. And I'm saying as one that was this point that things turned into. And you get a list and you by yourself, you don't have the mental energy to go over 200 items and, and do the triage yourself because you've got your own job to do. And as you do this job, you get to the conclusion saying, you know what, pick the top 10, just go fix those 10. Let's see mm -hmm. how much time does it take. Let's just have some kind of understanding. So you set a meeting a week afterwards and the developers come back and I'm talking about developers that I really admire uh, for their skills. And it's saying out of the 10, we're going to fix zero. Say, okay, that's not what I expected. Uh, and why zero? Said, okay. So the three ones on top, those are actually a test project that we've done for a candidate. So this is actually not being pushed to the cloud. So I have no idea why your stupid something something vendor decided <laughs> that he should present these uh, findings to me because they're definitely not being shipped to the cloud. Now you see this, this is actually an older version. I have no idea why they're actually alerting on older branches. It is already deprecated. And this, you see this, this has no API to the internet. It is only internal. And this, it has no exploit. And so you see the list and you said, we picked the top 10 and uh, I have no idea what to say. So you go back to the AppSix guy and said, you know what guys, please take this list and do a triage and figure out what's real so we can go back to the developers with a few examples of the real things. Yes. So the opposite guys are saying, wow, we have no idea how things are actually connected in production. So we don't know what's going to be out there. So they're asking the developer guys, can you spare an hour to explain to me what they're going to say? I said, no, that's not my system. We need to talk with that guy over there. Mm. So you're setting a meeting with this guy and say, no, 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 that's that guy. And you spend your time just trying to figure out what to do That's and right. nothing gets done. Mm. Mm. This is currently the state in the industry, the way I experience it. And I think a lot of our customers are experiencing. So what we're trying to change is saying, look, the, the triage itself is something that you can easily understand. It's a, it's a set of questions. It's true that you need to understand the context and learn the context, but once you learn it using uh, technology similar to LLMs, you can actually ask the right questions saying, okay, is it connected to the internet? And is this API actually externally exposed? And is it driving to the code? And who's the right developer to actually fix it? And who touched it? Because not always the last person that touched it, this module is the right to guy to fix it. And actually answer a lot of those questions. So when you come back to the developer saying, you know what, out of the 10,000 list issue, Let's focus on those three. And the reason I'm telling you to focus on this is first, this has a live exploit. Uh, you can actually see the link here. It's a GitHub repository with an exploit code. Uh, there are indication that this is actually being uh, used in the wild. Here's the ESP. Then you can see this is reachable in our case. These are the instances that are running in production that have this code. 
Uh, and this is the API gateway that gets the code to here. And the code that gets to here is actually connected through this path. And you actually see a lot of traffic going through that uh, problem. So once we get to the point that you're able to prove this sentence and say, you know what, this is actually touching this database that contains a lot of data that is quite sensitive. So I'm, I, I can't say for 100% sure that we've got all the facts right, but it's so close that it is not right. worth taking risk anymore. Mm -hmm. And then you get cooperation. So I'm just, yeah, I mean, go, go ahead, ahead, Pat, go ahead, Patrick. Well, I mean, it sounds familiar to the, I guess what I consider the, the CSPM kind of version two, right? The first cloud security posture managers were really pretty dumb in that they looked at all of the resources, judged them independently. You know, my favorite one is the, the famous AWS default security group, right? If every CSPM used to flag that as the highest security, you know, get out of bed problem, but it's something you can't turn off. <laughs> you know, they're there. And if some people use them, I mean, that's definitely not a best practice, but it's also not something worth, you know, pager duty waking up infrastructure security folks in the night for most of the time, right? Now in the second generation of CSPM, they're sort of looking at these findings. They're maybe, you know, uh, 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 graph visualizing them. They're looking at the context around them to say, okay, yeah, we have a thousand high severity alerts, but which ones are internet facing and more than a public IP check, right? Which ones, um, you know, in the case of malware, for example, which ones are remotely exploitable, which ones aren't. So they're, they're starting to take some of that context into their algorithmic score for some of these, um, for some of these uh, observations. But I hear you in that AI could potentially help you go even further, right? We're taking in even, even more signals, maybe not having to deal with that complex sort of algorithmic um, you know, figuring out which ones have the most weight, which ones don't on your own, right? So I think uh, I was going to ask you what role does sort of AI have in, in, in your product approach in, in the future, but you sort of already answered it. But, you know, that, that's what I think about is, you know, mm -hmm. can we get even more signals to teach us, you know, to classify those alerts? Because, you know, going from a thousand high severity alerts to using context to having 20 can also be a little bit unsettling to people. You know, you should have this big alert stack and now I've got, do I really only have five or 10 things that are truly important? Or are those just the things I should work on first if I have the time? You know, like, what, what, is that, what does that alert grading scale actually really mean? To your point, we've kind of lost trust in it, right? Um, so I think that um, one of the things that I really didn't, didn't like as a user is the fact that somebody says, this is a medium. Okay. Yeah. Isn't that, yeah, isn't that great classification? What the hell is medium? <laughs> yeah. what, what does it mean? Yeah. So, yeah. Medium, is it going to kill me? Yes or no? Please just explain to me <laughs> in simple terms. Yeah. Um, right. So what we decided is, first of all, I think that there are other ways to um, classify the industry from yes to no. But in order for people to gain trust, you need to provide evidence. And the way that we saw that we are gaining a, a trust with people is by simply telling them, look, we think that it might look like a high without context, but we think this is actually not really important. It's a hygiene issue. So instead of saying yes or no, saying 
exposed to a kill chain or hygiene. Now, hygiene by itself is something that you should definitely fix. But if you can combine a few hygiene issues across the OSCA framework from discovery or the reconnaissance stage to impact, then it becomes a real issue. So this is, I think, where things become interesting. Mm. So instead of looking on one thing by itself, saying, what can I do with the combination I can see here? It's just like Lego bricks. Can I combine them together to do something super interesting? Um, I and I think as you're able to provide evidence saying this is connected to here and this is doing this and this is doing that, you can gain a lot of trust saying, I think this is really worth your time. And, and it's, I think it's a big, big issue uh, in driving the actual collaboration. It's a huge issue. And I think when it's... I, when, when I... This kind of statistic, to me, just... It, it kind of is right in the same area of, of really... Under, AWS alone has 12,800 API connections with 13,800 permissions to access cloud data and services. AWS alone. So if you use just 10%, you know, you're in the billions in terms of probability. And yeah. certainly not all of them are exposed to something catastrophic. But that to me seems like it's, it's kind of the crux of the problem, you know, in the industry overall is there's just too much that we have organizations that kind of look at that first layer and go, whoop, here's what's wrong without knowing how it plugs into the second and third and fourth layers, right? Because that's what matters. Um, and, and I mean, I don't know, I just think that it's, it, wouldn't it be nice if we could just shake the etch sketch and start over? <laughs> you know, have nice, clean hygiene from from ground one. Wouldn't you learn all the lessons? Yeah, no kidding. Eh? <laughs> so I think that, um, well, look on other industries. Okay, so let's zoom out for a second and look what happened in XDR. Uh, I think that's a great analogy. We had antiviruses, where antivirus generation number one uh, was able to find issues. Number two, in, in the, they were smarter. They found patterns, behaviors, and things like that. And once we got to the point that we understood that there is an attack path, it's not something that pops up your, on your endpoint one day says, hello, I'm here as a malware. There's a journey. You downloaded something, you executed something, you, you've done a journey, you got a mail, something happened before that. Yep. And it's not in context that first you can triage a lot of the false positives. Then you can understand, okay, what have I done wrong? Maybe I should have done more training. Maybe I should have blocked it. Maybe I should right. have done this and that. And I think that as the industry evolved and we've seen a few different uh, companies leading the way in, in understanding deeper than the standard things, companies like Mendiant, companies like CrowdStrike and, and other great companies, when they were able to create this motion of saying, let's understand the why together. And I'm going to promise you that with us, you're going to understand the why and how you're going to be better uh, next time. 
I think that as they took those methodologies of incident response and blue team and red team and incorporated mm. them into the process and the culture, they mm. found ways to do things way better. Now, if it would have been a static world, then it's game over, the good, the good guys win. <laughs> the challenge is that the bad guys, they've got incentive to do bad things uh, to other companies that are worth millions of dollars in a week's work. So you're always going to find the right person with the right motivation at the right time to take advantage of that. So the world is not no. static. It's a progress on both ends constantly. And this right. is the world that we are currently amidst. Yeah, no doubt. Well, and, and, and I wonder too, when I see in that same presentation, I was looking at, at yours, which is very good. I, I, I see you use that Gartner stat that talks about, you know, over half of engineering leaders are directly responsible for application security. Do we have the right people making the right decisions for, you know, the security posture of an application? Or does engineering take their best attempt, send it over security, and then that bounce back and forth that you talked about? Right? How do we how do we get out of that bounce back and forth? Is part of your mandate for your product sort of education on the developer side as well? So let me zoom out for a second in order to answer this question. Um, as somebody that led um, a healthy size organization uh, of developers, you've got your own goals. You want to deliver things before a conference, a meeting, quarter end, whatever it is. Sure. When you've got bugs coming in, unnecessary security, bugs that delay your product, meaning it's something that delays your program, it, it delays your promises to your managers, to your ecosystem, to your peers, and so on. So you're trying to do things uh, better, faster, and so on. I think security is completely not on uh, or attached to that wave of doing things better. It is today mostly about showing you more alerts. And yeah. if we are combining those two and asking whether R&D manager has the incentive to actually go and check for security without somebody enforcing it or checking it or something external, I would say that most cases the answer is simply no. They will do the bare minimum because the more they invest in it, the more they're going to fix. So it's it's a problem that is inherent in the way that you need somebody with so much discipline to do that. Because if somebody is so disciplined in that, they will also fix UI issues. They will also fix uh, usability issues. They will fix uh, performance issues. And there are so many different kinds of issues that you should address and missing functionality. So there is never enough resources to do everything that you, you have. And if you've got the resources, you don't have the managers, you don't have the skills, you don't have something will, will come into play. So just for R&D managers by themselves to say, you know what, we'll secure it and we'll be fine. I'm not sure that I've seen a lot of good examples just because it's a profession. Somebody needs to understand the details and the meaning and constantly right. be updated and read the news about every new article that comes in. Uh, so personally, I don't think that um, it's a great idea uh, without taking somebody that this is their skill set. It might be outsourced, it might be homegrown, it really depends on the scale of the company. Um, but just engineering, securing engineering, I'm not sure it's the best uh, idea out there. Now, what's the best way to show it? And um, we used to work with somebody that uh, did a lot of pen tests in Checkpoint. And when he showed to me the first time a project that we are going to release uh, using Pentest that he was able to do amazing things to something that I thought my best developers did. 
that was an amazing experience to understand how much you do not understand about the advantage in security attacking. Uh, and uh, I think that the answer is simply, it needs to be split to a different accountability. Do you, do you credit that to the fact that it's just so, the disciplines are really that disparate, that different, uh, the way of thinking and how to look for and really make sure your code's secure? I mean, is that why you think it's somebody that's just gotta be separate? I'll take it to an extreme. Okay, so security is different from coding. In coding, you've got different languages. You've got front-end and you've got back-end. Now, you'll try to convince a front-end guy to do back-end job or back-end to do front-end, and it is very clear to R&D managers that these are two different kinds of animals. And now you're saying, okay, let's try and make sure that they also do security. And you understand that's not an animal. That is something completely different it's not an animal <laughs> the tree right uh, it's like comparing apples to squirrels it's it's, it's not on the same scale so yeah. if we if we take it back to ox on how you're addressing that and how uh, your solution is is i you know addressing that overcoming that solving that challenge because there it sounds like there's this huge chasm that you're filling uh talk a little bit about how you're doing that okay so um if there are three points that i want you to understand from the issues that we talked about before is going to an adventure that you don't know the landscape is probably i don't not not necessarily the smartest of idea so number one get a map of the landscape number two if you want to be secure and not surprised, you need to make sure that you're covering the entire journey. So it's not just about the developers or the production, or it needs to be the entire journey from code to cloud. And without doing this entire journey, uh, that's really an issue. And for each one of them, you need to understand in depth, what are the threats, what are the exposures and how to actually combat them. And the third one, is simply providing evidence. Don't assume that the people that you're talking with uh, know less than you. Because sometimes um, there are a lot of people that simply say, you know what, maybe I do not know, but I do want to know, so I'll be able to explain. And if mm -hmm. you're treating them in a way that says, um, this is just medium and take it as is, trust me, I'm an expert, uh, <laughs> it does create trust. Yeah, uh, and right. you need to combine those three concepts together. And this is what we're doing in office saying, how can we make this easy for people to actually understand the journey? How do I provide the evidence that what I'm saying is true and allowing them to actually go step by step over my decision, say, you know what, I accept this, I don't accept this, this is a case where I see things in a different way and allow them to actually say, you know what, in my organization, this is right and this is wrong. And if you're allowing them to do this entire journey in a single place, from code to cloud with a journey um, map to saying, this is what we're going to do over the coming months. This is the end result that you're going to get. Those are the KPIs that you'll be able to measure our progress in actually developer satisfaction and ability to fix issues, in the ability to see the time of exposure uh, from the moment mm -hmm. that you detect it until the moment it is actually being remediated, not just right. ticket closed, but actually remediated in production 
I think it makes a big difference for people saying this makes my life easier. Now I can control things where before I just got the alerts, I had the visibility, but I had to do all of the rest myself. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and this is part of the journey, helping people um, that we were in, in their shoes do this journey and understand how to do it. Yeah, you know, I think I, you, I, I don't mean to interrupt you, Nitsan, but I really think that you've hit the nail on the head with step one and, 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 and the map, right? And really understanding that entire journey, I think, is brilliant because I think so much within this industry is kind of just a scoop of the ice cream, right? Not we're we're just kind of we're we're taking little chunks and then we're making alerts, but we really don't understand the entire map, as you put it. And I think that that's brilliant. Um, and, and now, are you a SaaS? Uh, are there uh, on-premise components? What's the architecture that you offer your customers? So we've got uh, different kind of customers. I'd probably say that uh, most of the tech industry really like things in the, as a SaaS. And this is the easiest for us. As we're working more with the Fortune companies, uh, everything for them is on-prem or on-cloud. Uh, so for us, we are a Kubernetes native shop, uh, mm. meaning we can be run everywhere. We don't really mind. We've got a lot of customers that use us really um, in really, really uh, impressive environment that are not connected to the internet. Um, and we've got customers saying, you know what, everything is GitHub, everything is easy. Uh, just mm. add security, make sure the developers are productive um, and do it fast, please. I want to in and out from this project within the same day. You've got some pretty impressive customers on your website right out. I mean, uh, when I look at you know, Intel, Microsoft, uh, uh, Upstream, Fox, that's, you know, you, you guys obviously are doing pretty well. That's terrific. Uh, yes. Meaning we were fortunate um, to find a lot of people along the way that um, found our journey very interesting and their existing problem very painful. And they said, you know what, this is something that uh, we want to be part of. We, we think that the current vendors are not, they don't understand us. Um, they're really focused about growing fast, but their customer support are simply not listening to us. They don't understand what we're trying to explain to them and they've missed the mark. And mm. um, they gave us a shot and we're very fortunate to, to be able to help those customers and, and learn from their experience as well. And it's been super interesting to see so many experts share their knowledge with us. Yeah, that's brilliant. I think, I mean, I could really see how your experience and expertise in this actual process of building software, right, as this world has evolved now and everybody's building software, it seems, right? Um, powerful, powerful opportunity for for Ox and for you. And I uh, really am excited to see what you guys do in the future, Nitsan. It's really cool to see uh, you, you're doing so well. Well, um, in the coming weeks, we're going to release uh, a new movie showing uh, what's coming up. Uh, so stay awesome. tuned. It's going to be out there uh, in a few weeks. Hey, cool. Well, l let us know Please. and maybe we can uh, 
post it along with the posting of this podcast when we send it out. That'd be terrific. And hey, the other thing we do have that I'd love to invite uh, Ox is we have something called uh, Startup Standup. And it's essentially, we give you 15 minutes. You can do anything you want to do, demo the product, whatever. And then we uh, publish it with one of our episodes. So we'd love to have Ox Security on and feature them. Uh, That'd be be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It could be you. Uh, It could be anybody you want it to be, however you'd like to do it. So I'll be happy to show the Oscar map of uh, the cybersecurity landscape in software supply chain and uh, a few tips of an open source that uh, we can recommend everybody to simply start using it by themselves very easily. And yeah. if somebody needs uh, to do it more than in the scale of one project, we'll be happy to help them in, in larger scales. Brilliant. Amazing. That's awesome. Patrick, anything else you want to pick at Nitsan before we let him go? He's been gracious with his time today. So thank yeah, you so no, much. No. So that was it. Please come back for start of stand up. Where can people go that, that like what they heard in this episode? Where can they go to find more information? What's the best way to, to do that? Engage with you. So uh, the best way is simply go to ox.security. Uh, that's our website. Uh, I'm uh, on LinkedIn, Nitsan, N-E-A-T-S-U-N. Um, it's very easy to find. I'm the only one that uh, spells its name neat like cool and sun, the thing that lights the sky. So it's very easy <laughs> to find. That's right. Yeah. Awesome. Brilliant. And I can speak from experience. He's a neat guy and definitely a bright one like the sun. So neat sun. Thank you very much. I mean that it was great having you. I uh, always enjoy listening to your uh, soft spoken, but really insightful words. So thanks so very, very much. Thank you. Thank you, Patrick. Gunt. You bet. Thank you. Oh. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for joining us on this episode where we talked with Nitsan Zaev. Zeev, sorry, I said that, messed it up at the end here. Uh, Ox Security, check them out. They're really doing some outstanding stuff in the world of supply chain security. And so thank you all very much for joining us and definitely come back and we'll see you again on the next episode. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. Cheers.